2 John, beginning in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with, with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I went were right, writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the, from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets, for whoever greets him who takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Father, we ask that you would be gracious and, and helpful to us, even as we study, as our minds get distracted, and Lord, as we've spent time in confession, just trying to prepare our hearts, not only to sing truth, but to study and receive it through the preaching of your word, and we ask that it would be clear, and we would leave here with an understanding of this text, and we'd be empowered to obey it. Thank you, Father, for all the testimonies represented in this room, those of us who've been granted faith and repentance and our lives have been changed. We're so thankful. But, Father, we ask for those who are yet to repent that you would be merciful and gracious to them even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Second John, we're going to finish this small epistle this morning. Think about Christians. We're known by certain characteristics. What are they? Think about what are Christians known for, what characteristics, positive virtues that we're known for. Yeah, I love. And sometimes, you know, preachers preach and we ask rhetorical questions. But this isn't a rhetorical question. Yeah. Love, we're to be loving. Yeah, all those things. That's what I have. Here. Are you uh, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Are you loving? Yeah, Christians should be loving, should be joyful, should be full of peace, should be patient, should be kind and good and faithful, should be gentle, should be self-controlled. Yeah. And there, there are other things also, right? We could add to that. We should be forgiving. We're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. We should be prayerful people. We should be praise-giving people, right? People who give praise to the Lord, a singing people maybe, right? Maybe a people that we should be submissive to authority. We should be hardworking. We should be honest and giving and hospitable. We're to be servant-hearted. We're to be truth-guarding people. Well, think about the context here. 
Second John, the first century Ephesus. There's itinerant teachers that are going about teaching in the churches. They would go to villages, go to towns, and these teachers would live with, would stay with those in the churches. But were the believers supposed to be hospitable to all without exception? We looked at last week, the 12 were sent out. They were sent out without carrying anything extra. They were to be housed in the homes of those in the churches. The 72, when they were sent out two by two, they also took no extra things with them. They're to be taken care of in those houses and they're to live there. But are the believers in the churches supposed to be hospitable without exception? The answer to that is no. Hospitality has limits. That's what we'll see in our text this morning. We looked at verses 1 through 4 last week just as an introduction. So we're going to finish this today. And we, several points. First is there can be no divine love apart from the truth. This is from last week. We'll review this real quickly. We see truth and love wed together, right? Throughout the scriptures, Paul, he teaches the, the church there in Ephesus that believers, they have leaders among them that are gifted. And these gifted leaders equip the saints. And what do they equip the saints to do? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a, an equipping of the church through the leaders of the church. Some are to be teachers and preachers. And there's a maturity that happens as believers listen to the teaching of God's word. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So you have the truth wed together with love. To maintain a healthy, growing church, the church must exhibit a fidelity to the truth that doesn't compromise. And they must love one another in a way that doesn't have limits, has no boundaries. And we looked in 1 John, as we say through there, there's three tests given, right? They're seen, some of those are seen here in 2 John. The theological test is seen in these verse four verses. Are we embracing the truth? Are we embracing the truth that Jesus is the God-man? He is divine. He is God in the flesh. And he lived on this earth and he went to the cross and he died as the God-man who could make atonement for sin. Are we embracing this truth that only through Christ can we know the Father? And John is encouraged, isn't he, in verse 4. He says he's, he's encouraged. He, he rejoices because some that he's writing to, some of these people, they are walking in the truth. See, his heart celebrates because he knows that truth is not just to be known, but it's to be believed and obeyed, and they were actually doing so. David, when he was about to die, he was on his deathbed, and he gives Solomon this charge in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. 
When David's time to die draw near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. That's kind of cool. That's a good men's breakfast text, right? Right? Yeah, if you teach that, you have to have a beard that day, right? Kind of like, And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. All godly, godly, God-fearing leaders, they want their congregants to obey the truth. And here David wants Solomon to obey the truth. And John is no exception. So that's a review from last week. There's no divine love apart from truth. If you get away from truth, you'll get away from love. Remember the example we talked about, you go into a liberal church who's all about love, 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 love. It's all about love, right? And you start, you get in the middle of those people and you start speaking truth, talking about the exclusivity of the gospel. And all of a sudden, they'll love you no more. Trust me. The second thing we see in verse 5 and 6, just as believers walk in truth, we also walk in love. And he says from the beginning in verse 5, we've seen that already in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. From the beginning, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, from the beginning of Jesus' time with his disciples, this is what they have heard. This is what they have heard from the beginning of their Christian experience. It seemed like maybe a new commandment, but it was not anything new, right? It came straight from the Old Testament. We looked at that as well. This is years. Think about it, this is years after Jesus spent time with his disciples. Decades later. But John couldn't forget what he learned from Christ. Think about the Last Supper. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John even mentioned this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old one that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. But you can imagine the false teachers. Remember the context? There's false teachers in and around these churches that are wreaking havoc, trying to have an influence. Jesus said, this isn't anything new. This is something old, something you've heard from me from the very beginning of my ministry. But the false teachers, they had always had something new, right? Something new, something exciting maybe to teach. John had nothing new here because Christ had nothing new. Look at verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you walk in it. Believers, they walk in truth. They walk in love. And to walk in truth is to obey God's commands. And His commands, that we love one another. Just kind of cyclical, yeah, just kind of. To love is to obey, and to obey is to love. But John has said the same thing in his gospel. We've seen it before, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We walk in the command of love and love the commands in which you walk, as Danny Aiken says. Jesus summed up the law and the prophets this way. 
We love God with all our hearts, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. He said that's the summation of the law. And we hear some say that love is the highest ideal. We just need to be loving. But we need to express biblical love, right? How many folks have wrecked their lives in the name of love? We just need to love. We just need to love people. Yeah. Some follow their hearts in the name of love and they wreck their families, they wreck their churches. Love means that we're acting in accordance with the truth. Truth and love go hand in hand. They're wed together. Think about teenagers. They say they're in love. Think about every time they touch each other. They're taking away one another's innocence, but they say they love each other so their hands can wander. Infidelity. Think about all the infidelity that started with those thoughts of, but I love her, but I love him. Isn't it all right? It's all right according to you. It's not all right according to God's word. See, love isn't an emotion. It's, it's an action. It's obedience to God's word, to God's truth. We obey God's commands. We, we hold to the truth and we obey why do we do so? Not be, it's because not all people do love the truth. Verse 7 through 13. We must not receive those who reject the truth. See, hospitality has its limits because we don't just love, love, love. We love according to the Scriptures. Then what about all the love we should have? What about those who've left the church? Well, they left the church because they didn't love the truth. And when truth is not embraced, error reigns. What about those folks? Are we supposed to love them? Well, well yeah, we, we love. We have to be careful, don't we? Just because we say we love somebody, we don't let them think what they want or say what they want or do what they want to do. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He's talking about these same type of people. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. These are the same ones trying to have influence on the church. It's interesting in the New Testament, we're warned time and time again against false teachers. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Matthew chapter 24 Verse 11, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Talking about the last days. Verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And in 1 John, we saw this several times, didn't we? In chapter 2, verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So there's people there that are trying to deceive the church, those in that had embraced the biblical Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, 6 and 7. No one abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Don't let anybody tell you anything different. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And lastly, 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. These Gnostic 
counterfeit Christians were distorting who Jesus was and what he had done. So there's a warning here. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And we've seen that antichrist already. We've talked through that from 1 John. But they deny a central aspect of who Jesus is. They're antichrist. In verse 80, watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Be careful. Kind of picture these sharks in the water circling. Or, or maybe a, you see a, these nature shows the wolves, they circle a herd of elk looking for the weak one to pounce on. And it's interesting, we were overseas. When we were um, there, we would share the gospel with someone. And if we shared the gospel, 99 times out of 100, it would be the first time they ever heard it. Never heard the gospel. But it's amazing how many cults were rampant there. And you didn't see them so much in the city, but you saw them out in the countryside where people were very poor, people were illiterate. That's just where when you, you, you go out there and you start sharing, they would say, oh, yeah, I've heard this, I've heard this. But come to find out, they've heard something similar, but it's false. Jesus was never the biblical Jesus. Jesus was always something else. A woman who came that said this, that, and other. A man who came and said to a village not far, not far away and did these miracles. It was always something off and wacky. But the false teachers, they prey on those who are weak, those that are vulnerable. What does it mean here? And it says, so that you may not lose what we have worked for. That's interesting, isn't it? Think about, there's a, a textual variant. Some translations translate we and some translate the pronoun you. Somewhat of a head scratcher, but I think John and those with him have worked with these people. Think about Paul, the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Now the Apostle John has worked with these folks. He's, they've disciplined them and preached to them and taught them, discipling them, rebuking them, encouraging them. They don't want their work to be in vain. John is not saying here that they've earned their salvation. We don't work for our salvation. No, it's a free gift, right? We're saved by grace through faith. We don't boast because it's not anything we do. It's, it's gifted to us. But there is a tension, isn't it, in the New Testament. Those who are born again, they will persevere in their faith, right? They'll be kept till the end. But yet there's a tension, isn't it, that we're to persevere till the end. We're commanded to persevere. So there's a tension there in the New Testament. But you think about all the work that's been done by the apostles, by Paul and Timothy and now John, loving on these people and teaching them. What if they turn away? Will this work be done in vain? Of course, they don't lose their salvation, right? If they're a believer, no, they'll persevere to the end. And if they turn away, it's a sign that they never were converted in the first place, right? There's still effort being put forth by John and these other godly men. And What about work? What is that referring to? In John chapter 6, verse 27, 
Jesus, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which, is, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. The verse 29, Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So is it work? Referring to their faith. Then believing in Christ. It's somewhat difficult. And what, is it, what about the reward? Watch yourselves. Don't lose what you've worked for. Keep your reward, this full reward. This shouldn't bother us too much. We see rewards being taught all through the New Testament. Luke chapter 6, this is a familiar passage. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, talking about rewards. And whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Revelation 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So we see the... This, are you going to be rewarded in glory? Are there rewards in heaven? I think there, there are. Is this speaking of eternal life? Is it speaking about other rewards? Well, we, we know we don't earn our salvation. But think about the, those who've labored among these believers. I think they're here warning them. If some of these walk away who weren't true believers, they look like they're believers and they walk away from the faith. These apostles, will they have labored in vain? Give our small group leaders something to think about, something to work through this week. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Those who go ahead, they add to Scripture. I like this. Um, Danny Aiken, he has a mathematics of the cults I thought was very helpful. What does it mean to go ahead? It's someone who adds to Scripture. Anybody who has something to add to your Bible, you should be leery of. You see the watchtowers, the Latter-day Saints, they do this, don't they? Or what about someone who's discovered something new that no theologian has ever thought of before in the last 2,000 years? Be aware of that person too, I think. I like this. Danny Aiken, he says, Mathematics of the Cults. He said, there's an addition there. They add an extra biblical source of authority by a prophet, a pen, or a professor. You have subtraction. They subtract from the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They deny his deity and find inadequacy, inadequacy in his work of redemption. We see that here in the Gnostics, don't we? Division, they divide our allegiance from God through Christ alone to others. Multiplication, they multiply requirements for salvation. They Some kind of work salvation. So think about it. There's something maybe in your mind you're thinking about. Somebody you know, you've had conversations with. 
They try to add to or take away from or divide or multiply requirements. Yeah. He writes these simple four principles will enable us to spot and expose those spiritual movements that regardless of their profession do not know or have God. I like that. I thought that may have been helpful for us. When one denies the deity of Christ, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we have to part ways, don't we? We can't be unified with this person. We can't have fellowship with that person. And so the false teachers, they were staying in homes, influencing those hosts. And John's warning them, we don't fellowship with such people. We don't have unity with such a person. Numbers 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or do not give him any greeting. Do not identify yourself with a, a so-called Christian, right? Someone who professes to be a Christian, a believer, somebody who loves God and loves Christ. Because any hint of fellowship with a type person might be misunderstood as approval. Our culture today applauds tolerance. If we really love people, we'll be nice to them and love them despite their beliefs, despite our differences. Yet what type of love lets someone believe a lie? What type of love allows someone to teach things that destroys people? That's not love, that's indifference, right? Yeah. To really love them is to tell them the truth and protect others from their error. I want to read something from John Stott. He says, Our love is not so blind as to ignore the views and conduct of others. It's not a, well, we just love folks and to each his own. He says, Truth should make our love discriminating. On the other hand, we must never champion the truth in a harsh or bitter spirit. And that's true, right? We've talked about how truth and love are married together. We have to be, we have to be kind. And there are some who hold on to truth real tightly and we're a little bitter and we're a little harsh and we're a little rigid and we're a little self-righteous. We have folks like that in uh, preachers on YouTube or on TV. They're, I call them heresy hunters where everybody's wrong but them. You know, they're very rigid. They're very callous and harsh. So the Christian fellowship should be marked equally by love and truth. And we're to avoid the dangerous tendency to extremism, pursuing either at the expense of the other. And I like this. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. We need to live according to the scripture which commands us both to love each other in truth and to hold on to the truth in love. Read that because that was put together so much better than I could ever say it. We have to watch out for false teachers. Can't be unified with those who are teaching falsely. That Jesus is not the God-man. Salvation can come by another way other than through Christ and trusting in His work on the cross for us. We can't have fellowship with such people. 
John is warning us here. Look at verse 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Notice this joy. Joy is associated with communion with God, but also fellowship with believers. I had a conversation recently. It was a, actually a, a, a young man who came to do some service work at our church. And uh, when he came, I uh, talked with him. He was in my youth group when I was youth pastor, and he grew up in his middle school and high school years here at the church. And he loved the, loved the Lord. The Lord did a work in his life and grew him up. And we were talking about his experience. I said, well, tell me about your family. He told me I hadn't seen him in 25 years. And tell him about his family. And he had three boys and his wife. And they live around here. And he owns this company that we use for our service. And it was great just to kind of catch up with him. And he said, well, I hadn't really been in church. And so we just got, began to talk about the importance of church. He said, yeah, you know. He says, my, the best days of my life. Well, he's married now, has children, right? The best days of my life was days that I was in church and fellowship here. So I just had a just a sweet, sweet period of my life. See, he lived his life kind of hand in hand, arm in arm, living life with the church, right? Fellowship. And there's joy in that. Sadly, this man has several boys, high school age. They haven't had the same experience because their father isn't leading his family the way he should. And his kids are being neglected. They're not taught the scriptures, nor are they having fellowship. The communion with God and the fellowship with brothers and sisters. They're missing out on the joy they could be experiencing. What do we do with this text here? Second John. Well, I think firstly we have to love truth, right? We have to embrace truth and we have to love the church. But we can't walk hand in hand with those who oppose the truth. We can't live life together with so-called Christians, right? We have to keep them at arm's length. Now, this doesn't mean, by way of application, this doesn't mean that we avoid lost people or even Christians with whom we differ on some things, right? We can have Christians that we differ on. There's some non-essentials, we call them, right? We're a Baptist church. It's Beaver Baptist, right? We're a Baptist church, and we, when someone repents and believes, we baptize them after they become a believer, and we, we immerse them in water, I believe that's the proper mode of baptism we see in Scripture. But there's other brothers and sisters, people I love and respect and care for. They would, after someone has repented and believed, they would sprinkle them with water. I think that's not biblical. I think they should do things differently. But yet we have fellowship, right? That's a non-essential issue. But there are some folks who have differences of opinion about the gospel and about who Christ is. Those folks, we have to be careful. We can't have fellowship. We can't have unity with such a person. It, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn there real quickly. We'll, we're about to close. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It, it's this it's incident of the immoral brother. You remember, it's kind of a crazy situation in Corinth. 
the church in Corinth had a lot of crazy situations going on. This is one who there was a a man who his his father was married, had a stepmother, and his undoubtedly his father had passed away, and so he had taken in his stepmother, and they had become a couple. And look at verse nine. Paul is addressing this issue. Verse nine through twelve. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the adulterers. Since then, you would need to go out of the, the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an adulterer, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, I have, to, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those out inside the church, is it not those who inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So this person is saying not we can't disassociate, you know, we're not um, we're not to isolate ourselves from all people, right? Live our own little commune. That's not what the scriptures teach. No, we're to have influence over the lost. We have other brothers and sisters that we differ on non-essential matters. We can have fellowship with them and unity with them, right? Because we're still a part of the body of Christ, the universal body. But the person who calls himself Christian, but yet they teach and influence people to embrace a false gospel, to embrace a unbiblical Christ, these are ones that we have to avoid. So love the truth, love the church, keep your guard up for those who teach unbiblical things, don't have fellowship, don't be unified with them. And, and lastly, just by way of application, what about joy? Are you experiencing joy? John says, I can't wait to see you so we can have, both of us can be joyful, right? Both of us can have joy. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Maybe, I just ask you, are you having, experiencing the joy of fellowship? And you say, man, I love fellowship. What does that look like exactly? Well. I think it looks like this. My kids, we, we go out of town from time to time. And we'll be going out of town next week for Thanksgiving. We go to Georgia to see my in-laws, and, and we'll be gone for a week. And we won't have church. Of course, Wednesday night, we won't have service, and then we'll be gone um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We're going to start our Advent um, season. Morgan's going to preach from Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the prophets and the prophecies about the coming Christ so our Advent season texts are all going to be Old Testament texts, but Morgan's going to kick that off on the 27th. We won't be here. But my kids, they're going to be ready to get home. Why? Not because they have, you know, they want to get to our own house and maybe part of that, but they want to get home. And, and Jenny and I, we want to get home. Why? Why, James? Why, why do we want to get home? Because we miss the church. Yeah, we miss being here. I don't want to miss. Kids don't want to go out of town. I don't want to miss church. And we like that too, right? It's good to get away, but it sure is good to come home. Not just to your own house, right? 
so you can take a shower in your own bathroom, all that kind of stuff. But no, we'll be at church. We'll be with brothers and sisters that we, you know, live in life with. Yeah. Are you experiencing joy of, of fellowship? And if you're not, you're like, I'm not, I really can't say that I'm not experiencing joy. Why not? Is it, is it because you're, you're just kind of loosely affiliated with the church? You're here maybe Sunday morning for worship, but that's it. And you don't have those, those intimate relationships where people know what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in their life. That's really what fellowship is, right? Maybe just by way of application, you need to be more committed to the church. And maybe you want to talk about that. Hey, how can I be more involved and get to know people in a more intimate way? Talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. We have small groups that help with that. Wednesday nights, we have a sweet time of we eat together, break bread together, and we, we have Bible study together. Sweet time. There's some ways you can be more involved and get more, become more intimate with the church. And, and, and as a result, you experience the joy of fellowship. Right? So we see John... The apostle warning this church. There's false teachers circling like sharks in the water. Beware of those. Keep them at arm's distance. Point out their error. Right? Don't have fellowship with them. But, but, but. The church, on the other hand. No, on the church. Let's, let's be intimate with them. Know what's going on in their lives and pray for them and carry their burdens. Rejoice with them. Mourn with them. Like, well, we got to do that this week, and we'll get to do this in the next, in the months to come with Miss Mary Jane. And it and it's something you see somebody and their hearts breaking. You it just your heart breaks with them and for them. Oh, that's yeah, because we have fellowship together. We're intimate and we're loving and we're body and we're family. Maybe you need to make a commitment to being more faithful to the church so you can experience the joy of fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are good and we're thankful for this scripture because there's false teachers. They're running amok among us in this world and in our workplaces and at school. And they want to influence us for not for good. And Father, when error is taught Error, false teachings in the church, you damage your reputation. It mars your image. Father, may we stand up for truth and proper doctrine, but help us do so in a way that's pleasing to you. Help us not be rigid, self-righteous, overbearing, harsh. But Father, may we do so boldly. Father, help us to articulate the gospel clearly this week. Give us opportunities to share truth, to combat error with our co-workers, with our neighbors, maybe with our family members. But let our conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And Father, for those that are here, maybe that are, they're not experienced joy because they're lost. They're yet to repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as their own. I pray that they would have their eyes and ears spiritually opened to the truth of the gospel. They would see how wretched and sinful they are and how wonderful and just and merciful you are. May they cry out to you in repentance and in faith. 
Father, help us be the church here. Be where you want us to be. Help us to be loving, but also be guards of truth. Help us do it to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.